Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Thank you, Lord, for just ministering to our hearts in song right now through that, through the story of Jesus. There is nothing more precious than the, the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, it is, uh, it is mercy uh, in, in vivid detail. Uh, you sending your son at this season to come into the world to take our sins at the cross. Lord, what a savior we have. We are undeserving. We do not deserve the least of your mercy. And to think here, Lord, we, we gather in this place because we have received you. And uh, Lord, we want to grow in you. And you are it. You're, you're the reason for our gathering. So I pray that you'd help us to grow in you today. Encourage our hearts. Strengthen us, would you? Would you strengthen us with might in, in the inner man? And Lord, help us to be ready to, to give an answer to everyone that asks a reason of the hope that lies within us during this season. And Lord, I pray that you'd even help us to create opportunities uh, throughout this month. And Lord, just uh, would, you, would you bring souls to, to Jesus Christ through our witness? Would you do that? Would you help us, Lord? We are feeble sometimes. We get our words mixed up. We get bashful. Uh, Lord, we get scared and uh, with you, we are a victor and we are a conqueror. Lord, we, we have all that we need, but we certainly need your help. As, as little children, we need your help. And so I pray that you'd help us. And Lord, you know everyone that's here today and the needs that are on their hearts um, far more than I do. And I pray that as our loving Heavenly Father, that you would meet the needs, the spiritual needs, uh, Lord, emotional needs, mental needs. Lord, that you meet even... Uh, financial and, and physical uh, needs that are just burdening hearts today. Lord, you are the one that told us to come to you and to cast all of our care upon you, and so often we keep our cares and our anxieties. But I pray that you'd help us as a congregation just to throw those off on you and trust you uh, today, the one who <laughs> designed salvation's plan. Lord, trust that you can take care of our problems that are facing us even this week. Lord, if you can save our souls, there's no problem, no problem too, uh, too big for you. So we just ask for your help. Would you speak to us through the word and would you minister to our hearts today? And we pray that if anyone does not know you as Savior today, that they come to you by faith, that they would receive you and they would know for certain they're on their way to heaven. So thank you, Lord, for being our God. Thank you for being our Father. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated? I want to encourage you about that. Brother Ron has uh, set up, where is Brother Ron? Is he out, out there or? Brother Ron's back there, all right? You aren't in your normal spot. Uh, that's all right. It's all right to switch seats, you know that? Did you know that? Yeah, it's all right to switch seats. So especially as guests come in uh, throughout this, uh, this Christmas season, you might even have to give up your seat. But that's all right. Amen? You're doing very well. But Brother Ron uh, has set up a table out here uh, full of tracks. We typically have given you a track packet at the first Sunday of the month. 
on the first Sunday of the month, he's going to set up a table out there so you can kind of make your track packet. So I'd encourage you to stop by there, grab the tracks that you are most interested in, and I want to encourage every one of you to grab also some flyers. Now, next Sunday in the afternoon, the 12th, we'll go out and pass these out and put them on doors, do some canvassing. You say, I can't do it on Sunday afternoon, but I'd like to do it another time. You see us, we will get you a map. You can do it in the week, and I'd encourage, let's get these out, and let's be inviting, be inviting your friends, your neighbors. I encourage you to make some cookies, bring them to your neighbors, and you know, encourage them to be a part of that. Some have asked, are we doing a, a Christmas program? Well, we have our Christmas presentation on the 19th. And so it is called Starlight, and uh, I, I, I want to uh, encourage you to be inviting everyone. But guys, I want you to uh, invite your, your coworkers at work, and I want to encourage you to have them here for Starlight. I think it'll be a special blessing to them. And uh, I just uh, have a snippet that I want to show you here, and just so you can get a little bit of a uh, feel, but it is about a guy named Will. And uh, Will was a, a coal miner, and, uh, and so it was uh, staged around Christmas Eve, and he has a family and so on. And so it is an interesting storyline, but it all will illustrate the gospel in a wonderful way. And we'll, we'll preach a gospel message throughout, uh, throughout that service and sing together, and we'll really enjoy some time together uh, during that service. And then we'll have a lunch right afterwards that you can invite um, people to. And so that'll be down in the fellowship hall right afterwards. But right now, guys, would you roll that? If we're not careful, life can trap us, smother us with false expectations, imperfect people, emotional pain, fear, and regret. But one thing I've learned is that no matter where you are in life, there is a way out, a rescue mission for our soul. We call it hope. of it and uh, and so there's a lot more you'll have to come back and see the rest of the story and so you will you will enjoy it but um, it's it's done by uh, some of you might know uh, Jim Shetler the, um, Pastor Jim Shetler it's his son that put it together drew on um, Drew Shetler and uh, did a wonderful job of that but it, it wonderfully illustrates the gospel and uh, it'll be a heartwarming story but as well for you I keep saying guys you want you want to have it sometimes uh, uh, it, uh, Christmas time seems to be more heartwarming than uh, guy related guys this this is something that uh, guys can identify with and so I'd encourage you to invite your your friends to starlight and be a part of that and uh, of course there's food afterwards so what guy's gonna turn that down right right where are the guys in here no one's going to turn that down, so we're going to have a good time together. As well as we have our other uh, things going on uh, during this Christmas season, our, our candlelight service will be on the Wednesday ahead of Christmas. And then on Christmas, this Christmas Sunday, the 26th, we will have one service in the morning at 1030. But ahead of that, uh, during this Sunday school hour, uh, there will just be kind of uh, be a fellowship time here at, uh, at 1030, or at, not at 1030, at 10 o'clock. And so just out in the lobby, we'll have donuts and coffee and so forth and come in uh, uh, the uh, day after Christmas and enjoy that together. We'll have one service, no evening service that, that week. 
And uh, so we are uh, looking forward to that Sunday as well. So let's just be inviting. Let's uh, be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ during this season. Our world needs Jesus Christ, does it not? And uh, I trust that what um, we're going to share this morning in the message will be a help to you, will be a real encouragement to you, that uh, God is working right now. God is working in the world right now to bring people to himself. And we need to believe that, and we need to see that God also did that years ago and uh, with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're looking forward to all that God is going to do in this season. Let's stand together. Brother Caleb's coming and lead us in song. Let's lift up our hearts and our voices together. Angels from the realms of glory. Just a moment to find that. If you need it in your hymnal, oh, there it is. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight on all the earth. Lift it up with me on the first. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight for all the earth. He who sang creation's glory, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the Let's stay standing. Find Luke chapter number two this morning. 
Luke 2 and uh, kids, fourth grade and below, are dismissed to junior church this morning, and we're grateful for you being here. Remember Children's Spotlight tonight. Come back with a memory verse all ready uh, for tonight, and we'll spend some time sharing your favorite thing, your name, a memory verse, and we'll enjoy that together this evening. Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 1. We're going to read the... Uh, read a portion of this chapter together to set up where we're going in this, uh, this series together. Luke chapter number 2 and verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, you're alive. Okay, Luke 2 and verse number 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David. Just pause there because I want to make sure I say it. Uh, he's going south, right, on the, on the map. He's going south from Nazareth down to Bethlehem, okay? But why is it up? Because everything was up around Jerusalem, okay, so he would be going up, uh, up there, and so just a little bit of a, a geography thing on, uh, in, the, in the language there, but he's, he's going up uh, from there, from Nazareth uh, down to um, Bethlehem, and it's there because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed, verse number five, with his espoused wife, being great with child, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, no onesie, all right, wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, um, probably a, a piece of concrete, you know, a, a hewn out piece of, not concrete, but hewed out piece of stone uh, where uh, cattle fed out of, a, a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Let's read verse 10 and 11 together. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, notice, peace, goodwill toward men. We'll save the other parts of the chapter until we get there in future weeks, but uh, we shouldn't let this story grow old. But I think today that you're going to gain a little bit of a new perspective on this, on this story, uh, some from history, but that will help us to understand when Jesus came into this world, uh, the one who brought us comfort and joy, but what was the circumstances in which he was coming. And so let's ask God to again bless our time in the Word. Thank you, dear Jesus, for your goodness to us and for allowing us this portion of Scripture. Lord, letting us know how you came. And I pray that this would bless our hearts today. May you encourage us and strengthen us by your word. Uh, this is your word. We believe it from cover to cover. Uh, Lord, we believe it is inerrant. It's without error. We believe that it is uh, full of truth and that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we might be perfectly furnished unto all good works. And so would you do that in our hearts today? 
we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's be seated. So uh, this, uh, this passage of scripture is something that we come to every single, right, every single uh, Christmas season. We read it and we're like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. And, and it's really easy to look at it and just kind of pass it by. But I hope that you won't, uh, won't today. Uh, Jesus Christ came into the world to bring comfort and joy. That is the, the title of our series, Comfort and Joy. Let's think about this matter of comfort and joy for a moment. If you were to do a word search in the Bible, you'd find that the word comfort comes up 124 times in various contexts, but not the least of which we find in the New Testament. Jesus Christ says, hey, I'm going to send you another comforter, um, because I am a comforter with you right now in, in physical, in, in real life. I am a, a, a comforter with you right now, a helper, someone who came to help you uh, in the midst of a problem you couldn't get out of. I am a comforter, but I'm going to send you another comforter. He's going to live with you forever. He's going to abide with you, and we know that to be the Holy Spirit. But Jesus himself uh, described himself as a comforter. And uh, his spirit certainly is with us today if you know him as Savior. And he is your continuing comforter as the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you look up the word joy, 197 times in the Bible the word joy comes up. We understand that joy is a bit different than happiness. Happiness often is based on the circumstances, the people, the conditions around you. But joy is something that is steady, something that the Lord himself gives. And we find that it is the, the comforter who is dwelling within us the spirit of christ who says if you will abide in me and i in you if you will walk in the spirit you will you will produce joy you will have joy in your life and we find in galatians that the the fruit of the spirit is love joy joy and so this matter of joy and comfort is something that only the lord jesus christ himself can give and as you think about our world around us right now there is such a lack of peace there's a lack of comfort people are disturbed i was in a in a a, a, a fueling station this week and and i gave a, a track a christmas track and and i said something about good news and and uh and uh, i i mentioned i asked a person how are you doing and and they said they're doing well and i uh, i said uh, they asked me how i was doing i said well i'm living the dream god's good and, and God is, God is, you know, has me alive today. Well, I wish I was. And, you know, just such a burden. I gave the next lady in line a tract and, and she says, oh, I could use some of this right now. And right on the front is joy, you know, right in the front. And, and I could use some of this right now. And people are lacking this everywhere we look. The, you can see it in the eyes of people. You can see it sometimes in our own eyes when we allow the pressures of this world to encroach upon us. You know what I'm talking about? Are you all, all really good saints here, okay? You're all saints, but really good saints. You know, we, we, we lack that sometimes, but our world is lacking it everywhere we look. This comfort, this matter, I, I need a helper, someone to help me along. I'm in trouble, not just physically, but spiritually. I need a helper, someone who can say, hey, it's going to be all right. I know the end of the story. And so everywhere we look, we, we see that. And you know, uh, sometimes when we think about comfort and joy, you might think about, boy, you're in a mess at work. You're in a myth, uh, you've made a mess or you have a question. You just can't quite break through the problem. And the person, the supervisor or the boss shows up with the solution. You're like, ah, Finally, I can make a breakthrough. And when someone shows up to, to rescue, to help, to comfort, to say, it's going to be all right. This is what you need to do here. And this is where you need to go in the program here. And it's going to be all right. And you're like, ah, oh, this is so good. But more than any 
earthly comforter, more than any earthly helper, Jesus Christ came into the world to be just that. I'm here. I'm here. Now, we hear a lot of people say, I'm here. You should take comfort and joy. You should, you should be hopeful. We sometimes hear the government say, I'm here. You should have comfort. No, no, no. Uh, Jesus came, and he was bringing comfort and joy. And among many other things, but comfort and joy. And friends, as I think about our world right now, we need, to, we need to understand this so that we can deliver this. We have come here today to be encouraged. We've come here today to be edified and strengthened and challenged so that we can deliver something to the world around us. Now, it's going to help us. But remember, we are conduits, not containers. As you sit here today, if you just came with your container, you know, I'm going to just fill up and then I'm going to go out and just keep it all to myself. You know you're going to miss a huge blessing. You're, you are to be a conduit, a channel of blessing to someone else. Drink. Allow the goodness of God to, to flow in. But understand that God wants you to let that goodness and all that you've learned of him flow out to somebody else's heart this week. Comfort and joy. I hope that you'll find it in the Lord Jesus Christ and just realize, oh, wow. What a, what a savior we have. What, what a story. What a, a marvelous thing that he's done for us. So when Jesus came to the earth the first time, he was bringing, yes, that comfort and joy. And it wasn't like, oh, it was a great time. Uh, the, the world has had some turmoil at that point. There was a lot of turmoil. In fact, he came into a, a situation that had political, financial, and yes, even religious challenges. Uh, the reason I've entitled this message uh, Comfort and Joy in Uncertain Times, that's exactly what it was. There were uncertain times. In fact, I, I, I think we need to just realize something. That as long as man has walked away from God, and as long as man has been rebellious against God, there's always uncertain times. There's never a time where it's all stable. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. It's going to be stable. It's going to be uh, constant. We'll, everything will be okay then. But right now, there's uncertain times, and so wasn't the time around the birth of Jesus Christ. And I want us to catch a hold of that today. When he came into the earth, he was bringing true comfort and joys. The angels announced his birth. And did you see that in verse number 10 and 11? How it said that, uh, that, that, uh, that this was uh, great tidings, good tidings of joy, joy. A little later on in verse number 14, we, we see them announce how thou, this would be, um, be bringing peace on earth, peace on earth, bringing that comfort, that, that calm to the heart. So it was that Jesus came into the world, yes, at an uncertain times, and uh, times were, were rocky, times were difficult, times were, were uh, you didn't know what was going to be happening next, you didn't know if some, uh, some new edict was going to be coming out, um, but it was uncertain times, and that's the time that Jesus came into the world, and I want you to catch every bit of it. Let's think about this. Notice in the first verse of this chapter that immediately we're introduced to a man named Caesar Augustus who makes a worldwide dictate, a worldwide dictate. Uh, not just for a country, not just for Israel, but a worldwide dictate. Did you notice that in verse number uh, one? It says, uh, and there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. That all the world should be taxed. How many of you love taxes? All right, we should pay them. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's. So whether you like it or not, right? 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 We, should, we should honor God in that way by even honoring those taxes, whether or not you might agree with them. But there went out this decree 
from Caesar that all the world should be taxed. Now, this taxing was a little bit different. We'll get to that in a, in a second. But did you notice it says in those days? Uh, right now, Caesar, Caesar Augustus, is the, the sole power in the world. He is the superpower. Rome is the superpower in the world. Uh, everyone bows to Rome. Everyone is influenced by Rome. Even different places like you think as we've been going through the book of Acts, uh, Philippi, where, where Paul was, was a, a colonia of Rome. It was like an outpost of Rome. And that was going on all across uh, the kingdom. And so it was a, su a superpower. And, and, and God was at this moment in these days, these specific days, we've just come out of chapter number one where Luke has described the birth of John the Baptist and, uh, and, and the process that he was going as he was beginning to grow up. And so uh, he, he describes that and then he moves on to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and God was in this time of Roman occupation, this time of dominance of, of Rome over the world. Uh, God was about ready to break his silence that had been going on for a good many years. John the Baptist was born. We find in Luke chapter three and verse number three that he would be the one that God sent and prophesied that would be coming to prepare the way of the Messiah to prepare the way of the Lord, and that would be his message. He'd go out into the wilderness, and, uh, and he would declare, prepare you the way of the Lord, and he would, he would be making the path straight for the Messiah to come and preparing the hearts of the people. And so that was those days, uh, days of, of dominance from Rome. God's breaking his silence. There's a messenger on his, on his way, and so there's a, there's a sense, there, a, a foreboding sense with the, the occupation, the domination of, of Rome, but there was also a sense of like something more is happening coming along here. God is beginning to move. God is beginning to shake, uh, shake things up a little bit. And I think even in our, our time right now, we sense that in our hearts, that God is on the move. God is on the move. And we keep on saying, Jesus is coming soon. Don't you believe that? Jesus is coming soon. We just sense it in our hearts. And I don't know when it's going to be, but I can't imagine what it was like there to have the, the, just the stifling pressure, the stifling oversight of Rome, but yet God is beginning to move. And so we have this man named Caesar Augustus. And there have been many kings throughout the world, but here this one is noted at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, noted in specific, and uh, not just here in Scripture, but also throughout history. There's a lot to be said about Caesar Augustus. He was born as Gaius Octavius. His name is not, you know, Caesar's a title, right? But he took on Augustus. Um, but he was born as, as, as Gaius Octavius, September 23rd in uh, 63 B.C. Now, it's interesting about him, he was not born to a, unto a Caesar. He was adopted by Julius Caesar because Julius Caesar did not have any children. So he adopted, and I believe if I have this right, uh, it was his nephew. And so uh, he adopted uh, his nephew to, uh, and basically named him as the next, the next Caesar. And so that was how he got into the royal line. He arose to sole power over the Roman Empire after the assassination of Julius Caesar, which was brought about by um, two individuals, the assassination, and then uh, he won, Augustus won, uh, won uh, victory over those guys because they had they'd been leading a group away from uh, a kind of a, an insurrection uh, uh, against Rome and against, uh, against Caesar, and so uh, there, there was justice brought to them. He, he won victory over them, but as well, he had to defeat Mark Antony, and uh, you might know this name, Cleopatra, the last uh, queen of Egypt, and so he had to, uh, he had to uh, 
defeat them. And so once he had defeated all those detractors, he rose to sole power. And, and you think, boy, this was a pretty ruthless dictator. He's actually brought in a, quite a time of peace. Uh, the time of Caesar Augustus was uh, really referred to as a golden age of peace. And we'll see a little bit more about that uh, uh, later. But it was, a, it was a golden age. And even though he was a dictator, an emperor, one to be worshipped, one to be feared, uh, there was a sense where there was some stability that was brought uh, to the Roman Empire at that time. But see here in verse number one, we find that there was a taxing. He made a decree, had that type of power to say all the world, all the empire is going to be, uh, all the empire is going to be taxed. And so this taxing uh, really is an interesting note here in Scripture because it, it really confirms the validity of Scripture. There's been much argument and even naysayers that come up against Scripture and uh, the ability to trust scripture based on Luke 2 and verse number 2 especially. But as time goes on and as archaeology uncovers more and more stuff, it's been amazing to see that archaeology always confirms scripture. And you can go back and do your own study on, on that, but it's amazing here, even as there's been for many years, there's been those that would, would uh, reject scripture or would say, hey, see here there's a problem with the dating and so on, that archaeology has come along and said, nope, it's as the, as the Bible has said, and even um, finding uh, some of Josephus's writings to be uh, perhaps, an, um, perhaps an error. Uh, so as you think about this, this taxing uh, was a, a, a key thing. It was, it was a historical event, but he had the power to be able to say, hey, everyone's going to come to this, this taxing. Everyone's going to, be, uh, uh, going to be taxed. Now, let's define this taxing a little bit. When we think of taxes, we think of writing out a check or you know, paying something online or getting something deducted from our paycheck. That's true. That is a part of this. But there's another part of this taxing that really includes what we would understand as a census or a registration. So all the world, what, here's what Caesar Augustus was doing. He was going to register all the inhabitants of the Roman kingdom so he could tax them. Everyone knew, as you're going back to your hometown, this was not just so that they had your name on a, uh, on a roll, that they knew the population. They, they did this so as to tax, uh, tax you. And so uh, that's, uh, that is just a widely understood thing. But also there was another aspect of this that the nations that were under the domination of Rome uh, also in, in, in joining in with this and in obeying this decree were swearing allegiance to Rome. That they were all becoming of one society, as one ancient writer said. One society. Isn't that interesting? And we uh, talk today about one rule, one world uh, government, and so on. It's interesting how there was even that, 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 that uh, notion going on even at that point as Caesar was bringing them all together saying, I want your name on a roll so I can tax you and I have domination over you all. So uh, as we would think about this, we might say, well, it sounds like Big Brother was you know, looking over all their shoulders, right? And uh, we, would, we, would, uh, we would be right in that. In their time, without the technology that we have, this is the way that they did it. Everyone's going to go back to their hometown. Everyone's going to register uh, with, uh, with Rome so as to be taxed. Now, in today's USA, you have phones, you have different things that are, uh, that are giving all of your information uh, somewhere, and, and so you can just take joy and, and happiness in that, right? Uh, aren't you thankful God's still on the throne? Aren't you thankful he's going to call us home? And uh, so there... I want us to understand, friends, that nothing is new under the sun. Nothing. Kings do the same thing over and over and over again. And uh, imperfect kings will always do imperfect things. And so uh, here it is. Caesar Augustus is calling all the world to be taxed. Now, Jesus is coming in the midst of this. 
in the midst of what we could call godless tyranny. Uh, the, the, over, the overreach, hey, you, you come here, you do this, I have complete power over your life. If you don't do it, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to pay the consequence. You understand? It's not just going to be a prison sentence, you're probably going to lose your life. And so uh, there, was a, there was a sense of arrogant tyranny that was going on in this time, and Jesus was coming in the midst of that to bring us comfort and joy. And he even brought those in Luke chapter number 2, comfort and joy. And so I want us to understand this morning that God is not subject he is not hindered by the, the dictates of man, by the dictates of human government. We need to just reassure our hearts, even as we go into a time where we are heightened uh, in our awareness to what governments are trying to do all across the world. We need to remember that God, this is not new to God. Nations rise, kings rise. God is not subject to that. God is not hindered. His plan will go on. And we need to continue to be faithful to the Lord. And we can have full joy even in this time as we stay connected with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in John 16, verse 24, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. Hey, stay connected with your heavenly Father. Stay connected with your Savior. Therein lies your joy. Not in whether you know all that's going on in the world and whether it's all in the right place. Whether the, the, the governments are subject to God. No, they are, whether they realize it or not. They are, but whether that's, that's happening in our reality, whether we have a godly government reigning over us, we need to remember that God is not subject nor hindered by the dictates of man, even those that would cause us some hurt. And so these mandates led to financial distress. And I want you to notice this because in verse number two, in this taxing was first made, it mentioned Cyrenius, all went on to be taxed, everyone in his own city. And so we have the, 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 the looming knowledge that a tax is coming upon the people. I don't know about you, about this time of year, on the, the letters start showing up in the mailbox that say something about my property tax right? You get those letters too? Uh, dog tax. You got two dogs, right? Dog tax. You don't know what I'm talking about? It's called a license, a dog license, okay? Uh, dog tax. And, you know, what, uh, every way we can figure out how to tax. There's, there's, there's numerous. I just got the letter for the dog tax, and I guess if I paid it for life, I could pay, uh, pay the same amount if I just paid every, time, every year. So anyway, uh, so uh, all these different taxes that that are coming up, and you can just understand uh, that just like you, just like you, the people in that day would start thinking, you know what, I need this, this much to live, and now they're going to be asking for this, for the, for the government, this, the taxes are increasing. Well, that's going to be hard. Not only that, just consider all the travel. Now, they didn't need to put gas in their donkeys, but... Uh, at the same time, they still, they still had to travel. They still had to eat on the, uh, on the way, pay for an inn, and, and so on. So travel was going to be included. So just understand there was some financial pressure, some distress that was going on. Now, I want us to catch a few things here this morning about this, this man named Cyrenius. This is exactly where some people uh, like to poke at the, the, the truthfulness or the reliability of the scriptures because Cyrenius uh, had made a tax in 6 AD. He was a part of a census in 6 AD. But it says here that he was, uh, he was a part of the taxing uh, there probably about 4 BC, 
around the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say, ah, don't you know that, uh, that he made a tax there? And uh, well, we just need to understand there were multiple taxes that went on. But Cyrenius was an individual who had given allegiance to Rome. And he was, he was a man that was motivated to serve the Caesar. The likelihood, and we go back into some of the history writings, the likelihood of, of him being in charge of a, uh, in charge governing over a census at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ is not far-fetched at all. And you can go back and do a lot more study on that, and I don't want to uh, bore you with a lot of the, the details, but uh, for those that say, ah, there's a, there's a, there's a gap here, there's, you know, isn't a specific to the, you know, to the, the time when he, uh, he is noted as uh, making the tax, the census in 6, uh, 6 AD, he ruled or was in power, was an influential uh, Roman official from 51 BC all the way to 21 AD. And so it well, uh, well is within uh, reality that he was involved in the censuses um, at that time, at the time of Christ in 4 BC. In fact, we find that uh, that Caesar Augustus himself made three different taxes, uh, three different uh, uh, events like this, three different times uh, throughout, his, uh, throughout his reign. And so as we think about this financial pressure and as Cyrenius was governing over, over this, there was, uh, there, was, there was this burden that was coming upon the people. Now, a little bit further, I want you to understand the Roman Empire was advancing at this point. It was advancing in, in just record numbers. In fact, we find that uh, as they continued forward to A.D. 117, uh, that was really the height of the Roman, uh, Roman Empire when their, their dominance uh, went over uh, about a million point nine square miles. It went from Great Britain down, uh, down to Egypt, and it was, it was a massive, massive empire. Uh, that, that Rome had. And so it was all advancing at this time. As Jesus is coming into the world, he is coming into the world when Rome is on its way up, not down. So we need to understand that that, that rise is happening there. And that, that as this tax is happening, what is it fueling? What is it funding? The rise of the Roman Empire. And so uh, one man said the growth and maintenance of such a vast empire uh, would require a well-developed road system, a road network. And uh, that's something interesting. If you've ever done any study on the Ro Roman road system, it was a massive road system. In fact, uh, if you'll give me that map, uh, there's a map that has been done, and I, I hope that you can see that. So this is the Mediterranean there, uh, and Israel all the way to your, uh, to your right and uh, up into Rome. But you see the massive road system that, that was put in place by, by Rome. And many of these, ro uh, these roads were paved. Now, think about it. It was some 250,000 miles of road. Uh, 50,000 miles were stone paved. There were 20, uh, 29 large military roadways that radiated from Rome. Uh, there was 372 great uh, roads that interconnected the, late, uh, the, the Roman Empire together. So, I mean, they were just everywhere, and, uh, it, and it connected the Roman Empire's the 113 provinces. So everywhere you went, there was Roman road system. We have an interstate system today, right? Uh, and they had their interstate system there. Now, what's interesting is you think about this tax that Joseph and Mary was going to go pay, and along with the others, they're going to be in part funding this road system that was, that was going on. But you know what? I just want us to, the, to realize that Jesus Christ came into the world to bring comfort and joy at the exact right time in history. There were many things that were ripe for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Greek language was at its height. It was like the trade language. Uh, it was at its height. Uh, but the road system, the Roman road system, paved the way for the gospel to spread radically and very quickly. 
So we think, wow, this taxing is awful, but we never know what God's doing with, uh, with, the, with the, the ways that human government's moving around. And even the dictates God is using to propel his own gospel. And I think even this past year we've realized that God has in his own way created hunger in hearts. And even through the, the, the things that, that, uh, that have come down from governments, he has even pressed on people and made them to be more serious about their faith or to get real about Jesus. Friends, we don't know all that God is doing, but God was in this time, he was working even through the taxing to bring about a system, to make a system of roads that would carry the gospel throughout the Roman Empire in a very, very quick way. And we just must remain faithful to the Lord, must keep our eyes on him and not the problems on this earth. Men will discourage us, governments will discourage us. Why? Because there's many godless people in government. But God is still in charge. And God is working all things together for good and for his glory and for his purposes. One other thing I want to just share about the Roman road system, uh, many of the old writers used to call it uh, walls built on their side for how strong these, these roads were. And so they weren't like our roads that get repaved every two years, right, and develop cracks after the first winter and then do this whole number, uh, bumpity bump, you know, it, the washboard effect down, down the asphalt roads, not the Roman road system. These things were built to last, and you can still walk on some of them. And it's pretty amazing. And so they're like walls built, um, built on their sides. And so incredible what God was doing in this time through the dictates and through the taxing uh, of, um, from, from the, the Caesar Augustus. So we have the dictates, the financial distress, but I want you to think about something else. How would you like to go traveling nine months pregnant? Ladies, any of you? Now, I remember a few times we had a vacation or you know, a trip planned close to one of our, our children's births, and we'd ask the doctor, is it okay to travel? Is it okay to travel? We're you know, three weeks away. Is it okay to travel? You, you think about that. I don't want to give birth in, uh, in some other hospital or in some other random doctor. I don't want to do that, right? And you think about all that. Do you think Mary was any different? You know, sometimes we glorify the people of the, of the Bible uh, like they were superhuman, like they didn't have any, she had every feeling every mom in here has. Where am I going to give birth? I don't know about you, but uh, ladies, but my wife from, I mean, early on, like, you know, mid-pregnancy, she has a bag packed in the van full of all the hospital stuff in case this happens when we're out shopping, right? So we can just go right to the hospital. I mean, that's how, that's how she did it. We had it all packed. There were, it was just, it was the go bag in the back of the van, and it was all ready. I don't know how prepared Mary was, but I can guarantee you, when the Bible says she was great with child, uh, and she was taking a trip, 75-mile trip, down to Bethlehem, right? Down to Bethlehem to, uh, to, be, to be registered. And you know, you think, you know, I'm not even going on this trip for, a, for you know, a delightful thing. I'm not going down there to spend time with family. I'm not going down there to, you know, to uh, sit on the, on the on the uh, shores of the Dead Sea and, you know, catch some sun. I'm not doing any of that. I am going down there to register my name with my, my fiancé. And th this isn't even like a great, you know, a great travel. This is, this is a work trip. This is a necessity that is being brought on by Caesar Augustus. So we see these travel demands that are being put not on just on Joseph and Mary, but on everyone. Everyone is having to move around. Now think about that. Talk about fruit basket upset. I mean, you're just saying, all right, 
here, let's get the, the empire all, you know, all flopped around, all, all traveling around. There was so much financial demands. We think it's hard, you know, to go to a big city. I, you know, I think of L.A. L.A. is, is busy. I mean, if you want to move from one side to the other uh, uh, in L.A. at rush hour or, you know, at, at the end of the workday, you might as well just give it up. Ten minutes is going to take you three hours. It's just going to, can you imagine what was going on in the world at that point? Do you understand when they said there's no room in the end? Why? Because everyone was traveling. Everyone was traveling, and there, was, there were demands on them, and so they're making this 75-mile uh, trip down from, down from Nazareth all the way down uh, to Bethlehem, on likely on donkey. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't say spe- um, specifically, but, um, but likely they're using some sort of animal. And you talk about a bumpy ride, ladies, right? Not pleasant, not pleasant. Uh, there was no heated seat, right? And I don't know what time of year it was. We, we celebrated this time. The, the, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, speculation about what exact time of year it was, but it, it wasn't a comfortable time traveling at nine, mi- uh, nine months pregnant and uh, all those many miles. And so here's what I want us to realize. Even in the midst of frustrating circumstances brought on by other people, Jesus was bringing comfort and joy. Even Mary, the, that night when he was born, would, would be able to finally view her Savior at, in, 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 in human form as a little baby, and the joy that would be brought to her heart of being delivered. And what a, what a wonderful thing that that was. Her, she, got to be the mother of the Lord Jesus, of the Messiah. Girls for... Hundreds of years hoped that they would be the one, but she got to be. And even in the midst of all the frustrating circumstances brought on by others, she was, able, uh, to, uh, she was able to be the one who bore Jesus Christ. And notice in verse, uh, verse 6 of chapter 2, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She came to full term. She brought forth her firstborn son, uh, wrapped him in swaddling clothes. There's no room in the end. They're in a, in a probably a uh, a cave of types, and so it, it probably didn't smell really wonderful. It didn't certainly look like a nursery that maybe she had dreamed of in her home. Uh, it wasn't painted the, the, you know, the right colors, the, the blue colors, and you know, so on. It was, it was, a, it was a cave, and, but you know what? Even in that moment, God had used the, the dictates of man to move Joseph and Mary around to get them down to Bethlehem because in Micah 5, 2, the Bible tells us that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And we get all out of, out of whack, and I do sometimes too. We get all out of whack because, you know, someone has dictated, someone has moved me around. I'm having to do something because I've been inconvenienced or something wrong has happened, unjust has happened, and, and now I have to do this. But God is moving us around to accomplish his plans, to fulfill his promises. It helps us to realize when God says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, that maybe if we just stop and give thanks, we'd be able to really enjoy what God is doing a lot more. So now they're in Bethlehem. The prophecy of Micah 5.2 is fulfilled, prophesied over 700 years previous. Isn't that amazing? All over this story, it screams that God's word is absolutely true. And he comes through on his promises, even when the world is uncertain. And we have the same God today, friends, the same God. He's not changed. He's not changed at all. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, 
to them that are called according to his purpose for good. Doesn't mean it is good. It is, uh, doesn't mean it's always comfortable. But it's for good, for his good and his glory. He's working together. He is mixing it together for his good. Let's trust him. So God has a way, and I want you to catch this. God has a way of guiding tender hearts into his perfect will and plan. Think about Mary and Joseph. If you were to sit down and interview them, and you say, uh, are you concerned about you know, staying in the will of God? Are you concerned about doing the will of God? And I hear believers all the time say, well, I want to do the will of God. I don't know what it is. You stay tender to the Lord, and God will guide you to it. Even using outside influences to shape and, and, and direct your path. But God will guide you to it. You stay submitted to him, and God will guide you to it. And what an amazing story it is that here in the midst of frustrating times, God is bringing comfort and joy, yes, in these uncertain times. But I want you to notice one last thought. This is a very important thought. There was religious disillusionment here going on in the Roman Empire, in the world as a whole. Uh, we find here in verse number 10, we find the angel breaking the silence uh, to the world. Now, God had already come to Mary and Joseph uh, via an angel to describe what was going to happen. And God broke the silence there. But here, here this angel is now broadening this out. And he's giving, he's giving an announcement to the world through the shepherds. And we'll see that next week. But he's giving an announcement to the world. And he's breaking the silence. This was key because the world had been shrouded in religious darkness for a long while. God had spent so much time through the Old Testament uh, declaring his word through the prophets and declaring that the Messiah would be coming. And what did Israel do? They pushed it away. They killed the prophets. They, they persecuted the prophets. And they, they said, we don't want to hear it. And they, they constantly pushed back. And isn't it an amazing thing that how many times we, we see those that follow after God being persecuted and they're not wanting to hear it. We see there that there is a world all around us. There is a world that is bent against God that just wants nothing to do with him. And we see all the persecution that comes up because the world dwells in darkness and those that bring the light are not desired. And so uh, at this point, as Jesus is coming into the world to bring comfort and joy, the world has been shrouded in darkness. Uh, there really has been uh, very little from God. In fact, uh, maybe you remember this. You hear from time to time we talk about the 400 years of silence. How many of you are with me this morning? The 400 years of silence. So after Malachi, after God finishes up uh, delivering his word through the prophet Malachi, it ends there, hey, uh, if I don't come, I'm going to smite the earth with a curse. So without the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, you guys are doomed. Basically is the message. And it ends. In fact, why don't you go back to Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew 1 in verse number 1. Let's go back there and just notice this. So we're looking at the end of Malachi. It ends this. And he shall turn, well, verse number 5, referring to the coming of John the Baptist. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the, uh, to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. If I don't work, that's what's going to happen. And John the Baptist comes on the scene in the, in the, the spirit and the, and the power of Elijah, which is the power of God, and he comes on the scene making way uh, straight the way of the Lord. In verse number one of, of chapter number one of, uh, of Matthew, it says, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we close the Old Testament there. If I don't work, a curse is coming. And we open the New Testament, we find here's the generations of Jesus Christ. 
Here it is. Here's what I'm doing in the world. It's amazing to me. So in between, and you have probably a couple of blank pages in your Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but in between there marks 400 years where God was not specifically revealing himself to man. Now we talk about the general revelation of God, which is the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19, Romans chapter 1, verse number 20, the creation itself declares God. That's the general revelation of God. The specific revelation is his word through a prophet, through the scriptures to man. In that period of time, there was no prophet prophesying. There was no prophet preaching, saying, I've received this from the Lord. I'm giving it to you. There's 400 years where God went radio silence. You say, why? Because they had rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected. And God, God stepped back. And friends, I'm telling you what, today, you might be hearing the voice of the Lord, and he might be saying to you, receive my son. Stop boasting of your self-righteousness. Receive my son, Jesus Christ, who is your only righteousness. And you say, no, no, no. Friends, the scariest thing in life today would be for God to go silent on you. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not the day before you die. God went radio silent on a, more than a generation of people. No word, no preacher, no saying, thus saith the Lord. You can only spurn God's mercy so long. Do not, do not spurn the mercy of God. And so here we have 400 years of radio silence. God is, God is not speaking. And during this time, what's rising? Well, God's not speaking, so idolatry is rising. Much of what we've studied in the book of Acts and Athens and in the different places, Corinth, we see the, the rise of idolatry. These religions were all rising in this time. These, uh, these idolatrous practices were all rising. And so the, the ineffectiveness of the Roman gods was actually starting to cycle. So people were starting to become disillusioned with the Roman gods, the Roman practices, going to the, this temple and that temple and that temple and, and getting involved in that sinful uh, worship practice and so on. And it was starting to come full circle and people were realizing this doesn't offer me hope, this doesn't offer me comfort, this doesn't offer me joy. And there was a disillusionment coming with the, on the, the world's gods. And even today, we have to realize that that every day you walk in this community, there are people that are becoming disillusioned with the false gods of this world. The false religions saying, I can't be good enough for God. I, I, I've tried and I can't be. I, I'm tired of the religious practice that never gives me any hope in my heart. I say I have hope, but I don't have hope in my heart. And listen, right now, the Roman gods were becoming, uh, it was kind of becoming known that, hey, they don't do anything for you. And the people were becoming disillusioned. The stifling rule of Rome created a thirst within the Jewish hearts. At this time, we want our Messiah, the one that, that was being, uh, being uh, prophesied. We want him to come. Now, they wanted him to come and dominate Rome to, to um, become a national leader. But God needed to first save them in their souls. He needed to, to set them at liberty in their, in their soul, in their heart. Through, uh, through the work of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this was a time of spiritual darkness. This was a time where hunger for God was, was growing. 
for, for God to do something. And even we find guys like Simeon in Luke 2 and Anna in Luke 2 who are waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus. In fact, Simeon says, now I've seen Jesus and let me die in peace. Let me go on. I, I've finally seen the salvation of the Lord. I've finally seen it. And just imagine in this, in this 80-year-old man's mind as he finally saw the Lord Jesus and finally saw the, the fulfillment of prophecy and believed that God actually had fulfilled it in this, this little babe and he was finally just ready, but he had come through that, that period of darkness, yet still believing. There was this, this spiritual hunger, but there's this disillusionment uh, with all that was going on around them. Not only that, during this time, this, this time of spiritual darkness, we have the rise of Hellenism. How many of you have heard of Hellenism before? Hellenism is really the spread of, of, of Greek tradition, traditional Greek linguistics, uh, of, of the politics, social, cultural, historical, but also include religious beliefs. So it was a whole culture that was spreading everywhere. And it, and it was based in mythology. It was uh, really, the religious part of it was based on the 12, uh, the 12 Olympian gods. And so there was, there, was, there was a spreading of this culture that weaved culture, arts, science, all of it together with false religion. By the way, by the way, we see that today as people are as humanism rises, and weaving all that with, with arts, with science, and all that, so much so that, have you noticed that science is becoming, uh, in the world's mind, mutually exclusive from Christianity? Who created science? Do you see what's happening? So this was happening at that point as well, taking it away from God, and it's all about our myths, our, our practices and so forth. So it was a blended, a blended culture that included, uh, included religion. And you know what's interesting? Uh, it, 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 the Jewish faith really was the only group in that time that still held on to uh, monotheism, uh, the worship of one God. So with Hellenism, it was a very pluralistic uh, religion, and so many, many gods. And that, so that's why you went into Athens, and that's why you went into these different cities and saw all these different temples to all these different gods. You know, multiple gods were being worshipped. So a very polytheistic people uh, as, as, uh, as Hellenism uh, spread across time. And so much more could be said about that, but I want us to realize the, the religious disillusionment, not only there was 400 years of silence from God, God's word was not being preached and spoken. Uh, he, new revelation was not coming from God. But there was also this rise of, uh, of other thinking that blended with the arts, the science, the, the culture, and, and so on. So, not the least of which, and I've saved this for last. You say, Pastor, this feels like a history lesson. Uh, well, in, in some, I want you to catch this, though. Caesar Augustus was a major player in in the world religion at that time. Uh, more so than Julius, more so than others. Now, the Caesars had always been worshipped. Uh, that was just a part of the Roman, the Roman way. You worship the Caesar. You worship the state, which is, by the way, something that we're moving back to. Um, praise the state from whom all blessings flow type idea right? That's, that's where we go back to. That's what human government always tries to get back to, okay? There's nothing new under the sun. Aren't you thankful today that you know the one true Savior and the one uh, true benefactor of all good that you have in life? Every good and perfect gift comes from above, amen? And you know what? That, that sets you in opposition to, uh, to many others. But 
here's what's going on with, with Caesar. Caesar was uh, awarded the office of Pontifex Maximus. He was the chief priest of the Roman Empire. So not only was he the chief ruler, but he was the chief priest. He made sacrifices. He was involved in the worship. He was the chief priest. So I've told you before how the government and religion joined forces. Here's what happened. Here, right, right here, in, the, in this situation, we have the two blending together. And what a powerful and very dangerous, very dangerous. One of the reasons we as Baptists believe in the separation of, of church and state is to avoid this exact type of thing, right? Are you all Baptists here this morning? All right? And we believe that. That's one of our distinctives. And we believe that. And we, we don't want a, a church state, and, uh, or a state church, I should say. And we want to be involved in, we want to influence, but we do not, uh, we do not stand for a, uh, a, a state church. But here's what's going on with him. He is, he is the chief priest. And uh, it was understood that Julius was worshipped as a dead Caesar. He was worshipped. And there were temples that were built to him. But What's interesting about Augustus in particular is he was worshipped as a living Caesar. And there were temples that were built to him as a living Caesar. We'll get to that in a moment. But he was worshipped along with the deified, the deified Julius Caesar. They, they said, he's God. We, we believe that and we worship him, but so wasn't the living Augustus. And he was worshipped in these ways. He's worshipped for the peace that he gave as I said a moment ago, when, when he conquered uh, those that assassinated Julius Caesar and when he conquered Mark Antony and Cleopatra and became the sole, the sole ruler of the Roman Empire, he brought in the golden age of peace and there was actually an, uh, an uh, altar that was built on the Roman Forum uh, near the field of Mars that, that there was a large altar and it was called the altar of peace and this was in dedication to Caesar Augustus for the peace that he had brought into the world. And so Caesar Augustus was seen as a giver of peace. And I want you to catch that. He was seen in that time as a giver of peace. People looked around and there was stability. Though it was under the, uh, a dictatorship or under an emperor, there was stability that was in that time. In fact, you might remember the Pax Romana. That, that time of peace, that 250 years brought in by Caesar Augustus, this time of, of peace and stability, Roman peace. Caesar was seen and worshipped as the one who gave, who gave peace. Peace became the watchword of his, of his, uh, of his rule and really uh, was, was something that legitimized his rule. And so peace, he was worshipped for his peace, but he's also worshipped in this way on the coins there, in the Roman Empire, there was this statement uh, that, that was like this, son of the deified, son of the deified, so son of Julius Caesar. So in essence, all the way throughout, Caesar Augustus was very particular that this description of him went everywhere, son of the deified, son of the deified, or son of a god, son of a god. Uh, you see the currency the National Museum of Rome, this inscription right on there, again, son of a god. Caesar Augustus, son of a god. You just see how crafty Satan is? Here's the one that gives you peace. Here's the one that gives you peace. He's a, he's a world, world leader. Look at all the pomp and circumstance. Look at all his power. He can just command people around, and he's the one who's responsible that you have peace right now. Look at this one. He's the son of a God. You should worship him. You should worship him and give uh, allegiance to him. You should, you should follow after him. And so the temple, it's interesting, there were many temples built to Caesar, 
But we were in Athens in Acts chapter 17, and right in Athens, at the Acropolis, uh, there was a temple. It was kind of unique that was built to the living Caesar, the living Caesar Augustus, and there, again, ascribing him as the son of a god. And alongside the, um, that temple was built uh, also to the, the, um, to the goddess Roma, the, um, the personification of Rome. And so there, this worship towards Caesar was really intense in that time. So he was worshipped not only as the one who gave peace, but the one who was entitled the son of a god. But lastly, I want you to notice that there in that temple in Athens, on um, the dedication the dedication stone was also this description that he was a savior, that he was a savior. Um, there was a lot that Caesar Augustus pushed that he was the one who benefacted you, that he was the one who gave to you. He gave you peace. He was the son of the deified. He was your savior. He was the one who's going to help you out when you're in trouble. And all of this is just extremely interesting to me because the Bible says in Galatians 4 and verse number 4, but when the fullness of time was come. But when the fullness of time was come. God sent forth his son, made of woman, made under the law. The fullness of time was right at this point where there was a government leader who was saying, I am the giver of peace. I am the son of a God. I am your savior, and at that very moment, God sends another one who is the prince of peace, Isaiah 9, 6, who is the savior, Luke chapter uh, 2 and verse number 11, and is the one who can alone give peace on earth, Luke chapter 2 and verse number 14. That's, that's him. This is when Jesus came. When all this religious disillusionment was going on and they're all, their hearts are being drawn everywhere. Where is their hope? Where is their comfort? Where is their joy? Oh, is it in the Caesar? No, 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 no. Jesus came in at that very moment in the darkest time in human history when there was silence from God. God broke that silence and he sent Jesus. And you can imagine as the angels sang on that day, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Exactly that is true. What a wonderful Savior that we have. It's against this backdrop, as one man said, Luke's announcement of another Savior, who indeed was the Son of God, who would bring peace on earth, but could not help but be heard as a message that, that had political implications as well as religious ramifications. There was, this was a big deal. Jesus coming in at this very moment. He came bringing comfort and joy. Can I remind you that Jesus and Christianity from its very, very beginning was anti-imperial. He did not say it was anti-Caesar in the sense of disgusted Caesar, wanting him to die and go to hell. No. But it was anti-imperial. Jesus came, and you, you saw what Herod did. He killed all the babies two years and under trying to eradicate this one who's, who's claiming to be the king. It was anti-imperial. It was anti-state or contra-state. I think right now over in Finland, there is a, a case that's being tried. A pastor over there uh, is the man who appears to be the first in a post-Soviet Union West to be brought up on criminal charges for preaching the Word of God. Now, we would have some differences with this man, but he is being brought up for his stand on this. And this case is kind of being watched right now really has large implications for our world right now. You realize that 
the preaching of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, and as the Savior of the world went directly against the C uh, Caesar Augustus. And as our world moves further and further away from God or rebels against God in this season, in this time in our world, just understand that this book that you hold in your hand will become completely anti, anti the state, anti-government. Not that we, we, we don't obey. Romans 14 talks about some of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because they want what God is. They want to assume the position of God. And that's what Caesar did. Friends, it's at that point that Jesus came in. It's at, in the midst of this religious disillusionment that Jesus came in. And while Finland is beginning to call uh, uh, the Bible itself and the teaching of the Bible hate speech, and we hear that going on up in Canada and sometimes even here in the United States, there's another man on trial over there that simply tweeted a Bible verse and is being brought up on, on charges. You realize we, nothing is new under the sun, and at this moment, when it seems to be getting very dark in our world, God is still moving, and he brought comfort and joy the first time, and he hasn't stopped bringing comfort and joy. And we have to believe it and keep our eyes on him. And that's my real encouragement today. Uh, you, you're not going to find comfort and joy just by having a Christmas celebration. You're going to find it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, many people try to pursue comfort and joy in a job, in relationships, friendships, popularity, more money, and, and so many different things. We try to find it in something else, something physical, something tangible. Those things, in their proper place, might not be bad, but they cannot truly bring us comfort and joy. Why? Because they aren't comfort and joy. Only Jesus is. Jesus is alone the helper of my soul. Jesus is alone that can give me a joy unspeakable and full of glory in my heart. He alone can. You're not going to find it by having everything set right in your life. You're not going to find it by everyone treating you in the exact right way or everyone, or everyone doing what you think they ought to do. You're not going to find it there. You will only find it in Jesus Christ. And God has already proved to us before that Jesus comes in the midst of dark times and difficult times, uncertain times, when things are all out of whack, when we're being pressed by other people and we're being inconvenienced. He's already shown us that at that very moment, he brings comfort and joy into the world. And I want you to know you might, not, you might not find it at your workplace this week. I should say you probably won't. But you can find it in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, that's just over simple. No, let's think about what Jesus said. Turn to John 15 and verse 11 as we close. Remember that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus. He's back in heaven. He's preparing a place for you right now. But he's left us his word. He is the living word. You read this, you get the heart, the mind, the spirit of Jesus Christ. And aren't you thankful he left the Holy Spirit here with us to be our teacher? And so here it is. You want to have joy. You want to have comfort. This is the help. He's left the Holy Spirit to be our, our helper right now, to help us to understand it. But he says, John 15, verse 11. Read it out loud with me. Are you there? Okay, John 15, verse number 11, ready, begin. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full, full. Not halfway, full. Do you realize that Jesus has said to us that, hey, this I've left you. I've given you everything you need to have all comfort and all joy. I've left my Holy Spirit. I've left my word. You can have it, but you have to come to me. Can't go to your job. 
The next rung of success in your life isn't going to give you any more comfort and joy. And our world needs this message so desperately right now, but they don't need it from lips that don't live it. We have to live this, friends. I have to live this. He is our comfort and joy. Even in the midst of dark times. Can you imagine what these shepherds, and they're a whole other story. <laughs> Amazing story. Can you imagine what it must have been like when they came bubbling into Bethlehem with all this joy in their heart, saying, he's come, he's come, he's finally here, where is he? Let's see him. And they went on their way rejoicing because they got to see him. And it's a very, very dark times. God brought comfort and joy the first time, and he's still bringing it today, friend, and I call you to it, I call you to it. Put aside the things of the world, the, the, the cares of this life that, that are draining you right now. Come to Jesus Maybe you know him as Savior. Come back to him. Get close to his word. Allow him to speak in. Talk to him so that he can fill you up in his joy and, and comfort your soul. What an amazing thing. Would you bow with me in prayer? And I want to talk to maybe some that don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today. Have you received him? He says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the, uh, them the power to become the sons of God. Gave them the authority to become the sons of God. The right, but it comes with receiving him. You're not going to get to heaven with your own righteousness. You will not get to heaven with your own righteousness, friend. You are not good enough for God. Jesus was good enough for you. You need to accept what he did in your place. I wonder this morning, is there anyone here that says, I... I don't know for certain that when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven. I am still trusting in my own righteousness to be good enough for God. I'm still trusting in my own righteousness to be good enough for God. But today I realize I need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Is anyone like that today? With an upraised hand, you just say quickly, uh, I, that's me. That's me. That's my testimony. I, I've been trusting in my own righteousness, and I've not yet received Jesus Christ. Anyone like that today? I urge you to think about this. Don't push God off. The worst thing in your life would be for God to go silent on you. And I'm not trying to scare you, but this is a serious matter. This is a very serious matter. You're here today, right now. God is speaking to your heart. You need to receive him. It's going to take some humility. It's going to take you acknowledging, yes, I'm a sinner. And yes, I do need Jesus Christ. But friend, when you receive him, when you receive him by faith, the comfort and joy that will come into your life will truly amaze you. Is he your comforter today? Is he your joy? I mean, you say, Pastor, you know, I, I've gotten so carried away with the, just looking at the world around me, and I, I have gotten my eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ, but today I realize that even in, this, in the midst of all this turmoil, in the midst of all that I see going on in my world, I realize that Jesus himself is my comfort and joy. And I, I intend to pursue that this week. Who would say that's how God's working in my, my heart? Would you just raise your hand to that? Amen. Anyone else? Father, would you do a work in our hearts as we take this message from this place? Would you encourage us and strengthen us? Help us to look to you and to you alone, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.